This is Anya, and we are back. Today we are sharing a conversation we had with Caroline Mendoza, who is a leader of the youth-led anti-genocide organization called STAND. A group of students first started STAND at Georgetown University in the wake of the genocide in Darfur back in the early 2000s. The organization quickly became one of the biggest and fastest growing youth movements for international human rights in the country. Today, STAND has expanded its mission to address atrocities worldwide, rather than just in Sudan. They have made big waves in the fight for human rights these last two decades. Here's our conversation. Hey Caroline, it is great to finally meet you. Um, why don't we start off by just hearing a quick introduction about you and your job at STAND, um, and then I'd love to hear more about STAND itself and the mission and the operations uh, of the organization. Sure, yeah. So hi, I'm Caroline. Um, I'm a sophomore at Columbia University, um, originally from Los Angeles. I've been with STAND for the past three, almost four years. So I started as a junior in high school. Um, and yeah, I've loved it ever since. Um, STAND is not an acronym actually for anything, but it does, our tagline is the student-led movement to end mass atrocity. So that kind of tells you a bit about who we are and what we do. So we are student slash youth-led. So we're all made of young people, usually high school and college students. Um, and essentially what we um, are aiming to do is to mobilize young people across the U.S. Um, to prevent genocide and mass atrocities abroad. And of course, you know, this is, Part of a larger conversation i could go into way more about our campaigns and our projects and etc um, but very base level what we usually do is we um i would say work in maybe three different areas so one looking at the legislative aspect of this so teaching students and youth about civic engagement how they can speak to their representatives to pass conflict prevention and atrocity prevention bills um, the second sort of like channel we go through is our campus presences. So we have um, stand chapters or standing clubs at high school and college campuses. Um, and that's sort of like a mini version of stand national. So they have their own campaigns, fundraising, etc. Um, and then I, I would say our third channel is sort of through our action committee. So this is made up of individual students and youth. Um, and we have four action committees specific to conflict regions. So this year we're focusing on Yemen Burma or Myanmar, um, the United States, and then East Turkestan with the Uyghurs. Currently, I'm Stan's student director. So um, what that means is that I oversee Stan's managing committee, which is usually 10 to 12 students or youth um, who essentially are like the governing and decision-making board for Stand. Um, the managing committee has roles like underneath just the title of managing committee. So for instance, we have leads for each of our action committees. So people who focus on um, specific regions or conflict zones. We also have uh, more programmatic roles. So people who do things like communications or education, um, outreach is also super important and fundraising. So there's, you know, division roles that way. Um, we also have one um, paid staff on our team um, is only non-student youth-led person working with us and that's sort of where we get a lot of like our cues from and like organizational wise how we mm -hmm. you know are able to run how do you 
choose which issues around the world become your priorities each year. Yeah, for sure. So that's definitely something we have a lot of conversations on each year. So essentially what we do is that stand is run um, by the managing committee. Um, And so every year when we convene in January, um, before we start, you know, our planning and our campaigns for the rest of the year, we consider what areas we're going to be looking at. um, And we call this our conflict selection methodology. And essentially what we do is we ask ourselves certain questions like, um, is this, yes, this is like a conflict and this is a place where people's human rights are being abused, but um, can we look at this from a atrocity prevention or genocide prevention angle? We also ask ourselves, you know, is there a large youth-led presence on this? Would stand contribute, you mm-hmm. know, valuable voices as students? Um, and then lastly, is there like a U.S. presence on this? Because we do have that sort of like legislative aspect on this, you know, like how much would U.S. action affect this region? Um, and that tends to decide where we choose our region. So I can tell you right now, we have our priority regions, which is the four action committees I mentioned before. Um, underneath that, we have our education regions, which is sort of like, yes, Stan recognizes these. We just don't really have the capacity and the like people to be working on all these different issues. A few regions in our education level, Cameroon, um, Democratic Republic of the Congo, um, Palestine, Syria. And then we have um, rapid response level below that, which is essentially just that uh, as soon as something happens there, you know, we're we're updating our grassroots and we're just kind of keeping in touch with the issue. Got it. Stand has a really interesting kind of origin story. Could you give us a sense of how Stand actually began? Because I know it's, like you said, an entirely student-run organization, and I think it's really inspiring that a group of students got together to create such a, an impactful organization. For sure. Yeah. And I I completely agree. It is unique in that it's, you know, entirely youth and student led. Um, I can't give you like a fun like narrative and like, (laughs) you know, students like grooving together and stuff like that. Um, I do know and we spoke about this before that it started at Georgetown, the first Stan chapter. Um, I know Stan was sort of created in light of genocide in Darfur um, when Mm. Save Darfur was sort of a big thing in the early 2000s. Um, and that's where Stan was kind of conceived. And I think from there, it's really grown to cover genocide, mass atrocities more generally. So we still, of course, you know, focus on Sudan and um, South Sudan and a lot of things happening there. But um, it's really become much bigger than just um, one yeah. focused area. Yeah. Just taking a look at your kind of priorities and um, the efforts that you build around those. Can you give us a kind of sense of Specifically, like if you just pick one, let's say Burma, throughout a year, how does Stand kind of attack an issue? Yeah, for sure. So I used to um, be the Burma co-lead for Stand, so I can give a few like specific examples on that. Primarily, when we look at addressing our, for instance, priority level regions, so the four I mentioned before, our action committees, individuals join and they they help us contribute to like resource creation campaign output etc um for burma in particular um i can think of for instance like last year um when the coup started in in the country um we were looking a lot about like supporting youth uh protests and youth-led protests in Mm -hmm. the country um so one of the things we did was um we would make essentially like sort of like call-in scripts and have trainings for people to understand how to like lobby and talk to the representatives about certain bills. One in particular was I think the Burma Peace and Security Act. Don't quote me on that. I know there was one in particular we were looking at and essentially what we did was we hosted like an online training for for students and they came on and we taught them like you know 
these are your elected officials. You can sit down and have meetings with them. This is sort of what you say. This is what the bill does. And this is like your selling point, how you make this issue like connect to the person you're talking to. So that was one mm-hmm. of the things we did from like a legislative angle. We've also done other campaigns around like the IDP and refugee issues in the country. Yeah. So looking at, you know, education is one of the things that they really lack. One of the things we did to kind of address that is, is we made a sort of like video of um, stand action committee members and stand managing committee members reaffirming like why they feel education is important, how we as students are connected to that sort of aspect of being a young person in education and how um, being displaced can like be detrimental to that, to express solidarity, but also to like kind of raise funds for these people in these regions. Our acting committees, I would say are primarily like impact wise domestic because it's more about education and awareness of our grassroots, you know, mobilizing young people and teaching them like advocacy skills so they can go on and like do this work in the future. Um, So a lot of it, I would say, is um, pertinent to the U.S. Um, I can think of one example that was maybe best showcases that like this is, you know, pretty U.S. focused. Um, We had a conscious consumption campaign, which was kind of focusing on like how do we as consumers in the U.S. contribute to um, atrocities and human rights abuses mm. abroad when we're, you know, yeah. supporting supply chains with, like, weaker forced labor and, like, Burmese genocide gems and stuff like that. Um, so that's an example of how, you know, we would be affecting change in pretty much the U.S., but I guess it does have, like, international implications just given the yeah. the topic. You said Burmese genocide gems. What? I've never even heard of that. Yeah, this was another thing that the Burma Action Committee focused on. Essentially, the Burmese military, which ran the coup and is perpetrating yeah. genocide and mass human rights abuses, um, they have a large stake and hold in the country's um, gem sector, and that makes them huge amounts of profits per year and so when companies in the u.s like um angara bulgari are buying these gems from burma they're actually supporting the burmese government um and sort of like funding their operations that deeply affect ethnic minorities and burmese citizens as a whole so that was one of the things we were looking at um and getting you know kind of like the word out awareness is clearly crucial and legislative action are you interacting at all with international organizations or building other inter-organizational connections at all too yeah so we do have some really good like um i don't know if they would be called partners but like other organizations we commonly work with so for instance summer of 2020 stan did sort of like a joint campaign with mercy corps which is a much bigger like more funded organization um and with them we partnered up to promote the global fragility act um which was passed in 2019 or 2020 um to promote conflict prevention as opposed to conflict intervention Mm. the global fragility act the gist of the bill is that if we invest in prevention abroad as opposed to integrating when conflict has already occurred we will not only, you know, save lives and curb the humanitarian costs, but we'll also, um, like, be better for the U.S. financially because we spend mm. so much more money when we intervene as opposed to prevent conflict. Yeah. It would require the State Department to choose 10, like, at-risk regions um, and sort of, like, conduct analyses and conflict prevention indicators on those regions to kind of, you know, say, like, we think stuff might happen here. We should be focusing resources on these areas. Um, To the best of my knowledge, I don't think that's actually even happened yet, even though, you know, it's, like, mandated by law. Um, 
yeah, that's that's all I know as of current. Yeah. When when you say investments, do you mean like is it is it through aid or targeted aid or is it more kind of through NGOs? Yeah. Um I wish I could give you like a really <laughs> no sure worries, answer. Yeah. <laughs> I I want to say it's through um like supporting civil society orgs. Okay, yeah. Like already doing work on the ground and also maybe also through like federal aid. I really don't know totally. that much. <laughs> yeah. This is a broader question. You obviously are doing a lot of work with atrocity prevention, and I'm wondering what your broader kind of feeling is about the state of the international community's interaction with atrocity. Do you feel, as a member of a kind of external, more grassroots organization, frustrated with the more kind of bureaucracy that has to do with human rights and has to do with intervention, or do you feel like you're kind of filling in a necessary piece of that yeah, I, I feel like it's a bit of both. I mean, frustration is inevitable um, when we think about, like, the U.S.'s role in a lot of these atrocities. Um, like, for instance, our Yemen Action Committee focuses a lot on the fact that the U.S. Um, sells weapons right. to the Saudi coalition yeah. yeah, in Yemen. So that's, you know, like a prime example of our frustration with, um, like, actions of our own government. Um, I guess in terms of, like, how stand fits into the bigger picture. I mean, I think one of our um, main like contributions to the whole atrocity prevention movement is the idea that we're youth-led. Yeah. Unfortunately, like youth voices are often spoken over and not regarded as super um, important or even a priority. Um, one of the things that Stan really advocates for is like the youth peace and security agenda. So that's a, it was a UN resolution. Um, so it's sort of like a on the UN, you know, agenda. Um, and now mm-hmm. there's a bill in the U.S. Congress that kind of echoes the same calls as that agenda. Um, and essentially what it's saying is that youth are pertinent, affected by these atrocities and conflict. They also have a large stake in how they play out and how they're prevented and resolved. Um, and stand, you know, because we're youth-led and because we work in that same like sector of peace and security um we actually co-lead the youth peace and security coalition in the u.s so we work alongside other organizations to kind of like promote this agenda get the legislation passed and overall like raise awareness about the idea that you know young people are important in these spaces you know youth do have a large stake in the things that they experience and in conflict abroad but also they've already been doing like really important work to um to prevent these atrocities and it's stuff that i think is not super well recognized yeah no absolutely i think yeah i think that that is such a narrative that's been missing and and i think stand is definitely a testament to the ability of of youth to really make a huge difference and that is so inspiring um as a fellow young person for me it's definitely been very empowering so i did start as a high schooler um knowing basically nothing about our legislative process and nothing about how the u.s contributes to a lot of the stuff we hear in the news um and so for me it was just kind of like really eye-opening that oh genocide isn't something that we just learn about in textbooks like it's still happening today and you can actually like do something you know to a certain extent so for me it's definitely been empowering it's definitely been a turning point in my life because it's definitely affected like my career my major in terms of being a young person in this space I mean sometimes it is um challenging like when you're 
in these meetings with congressional staffers and they're kind of just like well why do you care like you're from southern california (laughs) like it doesn't affect you at all that's all part of it too but i think in general you know speaking to what you said you know it is really um it's it's definitely been um life-changing in that it's you know, given me sort of like the a new mindset that like, yes, yeah. you can speak to these people, you can affect change in your own way. Um, and you are, you know, important, even if you just are like one kid <laughs> from the US. Yeah. Do you find that most people that you kind of interact with, um, or most bureaucrats, I should say, on Capitol Hill or, or elsewhere are not receptive to you in your organization? Or do you feel like it's kind of a mixed bag? Hmm. Yeah, I, I would think it's a mixed back I think it's kind of both I can think of like really good experiences and less good experiences um a few of them have been really really receptive and they're always on top of it they they always agree with us um and I've often like felt really supported in that that way because you know you feel really heard um on the flip side there's some offices you know just don't really like like mind or like keep touch on foreign affairs in general um and of course offices where you know we're just not really heard because of our age and because of the fact that we're we have a very specific mission and a lot of times that um doesn't I feel like uh resonate with a lot of people on on Capitol Hill especially like financial wise if they're one of the questions they always have is like how does this how are we going to pay for this how is how is this going to affect you know xyz in the budget but I mean generally it's been like positive it's I think it's always a great experience when you say you know that people will bring up money do you have any particular strategies to kind of handle that because I always just I mean maybe it's just related to what I study too but I when I hear these stories of atrocity I'm so moved that I, I can't imagine thinking for a second that 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 shouldn't be a top priority and I don't know if you find that when people are concerned about money giving more anecdotes helps what are the kind of strategies that you use to to bring people to your side yeah um yeah i mean of course there's the typical like we'll give stats on stuff and we'll say like oh one dollar invest in prevention saves ten dollars in intervention something along that line speaking their their fiscal language exactly (laughs) yes um and i barely know how appropriations work so i can't you know speak more to that but we'll give like stats and like more like hardline figures and stuff like that um i guess in terms of more like personal narrative wise i mean last year i worked with a girl on on burma and she was she has a lot of like really close ties to the country Mm. um and so you know, sitting with her, it was always like very, um, very moving, but also very grounding that like, yes, yeah. we work on these issues as like teenagers in the US, but it also is like very, very real for a lot of people around the world. Um, not not to say that that's not something that's on our mind 24 seven, but like, you know, in that of moment course. with someone else, it does feel um, that much more concrete i guess yeah so there's that like the the narrative side and i i feel like we try to stay away from telling people's stories for them so i've been with other orgs where they'll like google examples of refugee stories like to share during meetings um i think that's something stan does a really good job on is like remaining cognizant of not exploiting people's trauma and like you know retelling stories in the correct way etc are there any kind of anecdotes or or representations of moments or occurrences that have happened during your time with Stan that have 
been real kind of motivating victories for you personal or more maybe wide scale moments where you've just felt absolute assurance that you know what you're doing is making a difference i can't tell you what year this was but my role essentially was to co-lead stan's education sector so our job me and my partner's job was to every month uh, we compile like 12 student writers to publish conflict updates and within that conflict update it's essentially just like a section on each area that we focus on Um, but it's all you know like student written student edited etc and so every month we would have to go through and like look for volunteers with our action committees or chapters Um, we would have to be like hey like we need someone to write these um, sections for us would you be interested? Um, and oftentimes these are people that I don't know at all, right? Because we're all virtual. And so sometimes I would um, be in touch with people who volunteered to write these sections. Um, and then after they wrote them, they would get back to me being like, hey, I finished the section, just you know, let you know. And I'd be like, great. And then they'd be like, but also I wanted to let you know, like I just kind of did this, you know, to like help you out. But I didn't know how much I would actually like learn about the issue and how much um, I'm still like thinking about what's happening in that region. I can think of one girl in particular who DM'd me after she wrote the section and she was like, I had no idea this was happening in Burma. Um, and I had no idea the extent to which people are being affected by cruelty and, and mass atrocities. And that really struck me because I think a lot of times like as a student and for other students work like this just feels very um like tedious sometimes and not something you always want to do but to have someone say like no it actually like affected me and I'm still like thinking about what's happening there and ways that I can get involved is really encouraging but also very telling that like this is you know it's slow work and it's not stuff that gives you like immediate tangible results but awareness and education, I think, is always super important. What are the, some of the things that you've learned that have just completely blown you away? Things that you feel like you wouldn't have otherwise known and you, you just wish that people maybe were talking about more? Mm. Yeah. Um, wow, that's that's really hard. Um, yeah, I I mean, a few things. I think I was really struck by the use of human shields in Burma. I didn't know... That was a thing that's really devastating to me. Um, the consumerism in the U.S. struck me. I spoke to our conscious yeah, consumption right. campaign. Um, I didn't know like just how many uh, major brands in the U.S. had like especially weaker forced labor. Um, really? Yeah. Wow. Like, you know, there's a few that everyone can usually name like that we see, you know, yeah. in the media. But there was a few um, like more like coveted ones that I personally really liked that I was like, wow, I truly had no idea this was happening. What are those yeah. brands and, and what have you kind of learned about their operations in terms of the Uyghurs? I think essentially the gist is that, you know, Uyghur people are being imprisoned in these concentration camps um, and they're put to work and they're, the stuff that they create is part of a larger like system that certain brands use. So I think like I really liked Uniqlo and I think that's, they, they mm-hmm. use forced labor gap and zara all do um and they're yeah. all part of that like sort of circle that that pulls from the the Uyghur forced labor and concentration cap area wow 
and and you were talking about human shields i have no idea what that is and this was in this was in myanmar yeah so a lot of times again it's the burmese military perpetrating these atrocities um and there's zero regard for human life or or dignity there and a lot of times when they go into like the ethnic states they are engaging in conflict with armed ethnic groups in the area um and they'll Mm -hmm. pull from villagers and civilians um, and essentially have them like march with them in the front line oh my gosh. yeah to to use them for that purpose wow that is horrifying i'm switching gears here i'm wondering if you can give us a sense of where stand is are you looking to change things for the future or are you do you think that you've struck a good balance between your different operations yeah um i mean i can think of one thing we're always having conversations about um is the idea of like intersectionality and how a lot of our issues Mm. yeah intersect either with each other or with other causes that's something we've been thinking about a lot especially in regards to like women's rights or like climate change that's always on the front of our minds um a more recent change that i feel like we're in the middle of achieving um is making the united states one of our areas of focus and the rationale behind that is kind of like as a u.s based org working on genocide prevention how does it make sense that we don't reconcile with the u.s's past of unresolved genocide against indigenous peoples um so that's something we've been trying to Mm. actively address currently through a u.s action committee but also through you know other ways in hopefully in the future as well we're also trying to incorporate the idea that we're not just student-led, so that's in our name, right? The student-led movement to mass atrocities. We're trying to generalize it more to youth-led um, because yeah. I think a lot of times, like, the people who uh, we work with are usually students and we target, like, high school and college campuses, but there's still, like, a large youth population out there that maybe, like, aren't in schools or um, are in, I don't know, other places and other communities. So that's something we've been trying to look at as well. So I, I know I read a little bit about the U.S. Action Committee. Can you tell us more about what that Action Committee is specifically doing uh, in terms of domestic awareness, the unresolved instance of genocide in this country, because it's not necessarily ongoing. I mean, certainly the ramifications are ongoing, but I I imagine that that's especially kind of pernicious in terms of how you can actually address it. I I don't know if you have any insight into what the strategy is there. Yeah, for sure. So um, it is like kind of more complicated because it's not, when you think of the U.S., there's no like direct cognitive tie to like, oh, yeah, that there's an atrocity happening. Um, so when we we look at when we focus on the U.S. and we say that it's a priority area for us, it's in the context of atrocity prevention and the idea that um, if there's a genocide in a place, the likelihood of a genocide occurring again is very high. The U.S. not only has an unresolved history of genocide, but also like enslavement of Black people is also very mm-hmm. pertinent. Issues at the border. Um, anything that would constitute human rights abuses or mass atrocities, we kind of use as a reference frame for why this is an atrocity prevention issue. And so in terms of, I guess, speaking maybe directly to indigenous peoples and how we address that, um, this is very new, right? So this is our first semester with the U.S. Action Committee. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things we did was we did like a big push around Thanksgiving and how to reframe that narrative so that it's accurate accurate and cognizant of the fact that there's still indigenous struggle today 
Um, I think we're also looking at genocide education in the U.S. And this isn't mm. necessarily something that the U.S. Action Committee does. It's more of like a broader goal of stands. Yeah, yeah, but like passing state-level legislation to mandate genocide studies in the U.S. Um, that's, yeah, that's also an ongoing project. Uh, but in general, it's it's definitely what you already spoke to, like more education and awareness raising around um like the U.S.'s history and the fact that there's ramifications today still. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I remember too reading that there was a concern about forced sterilization at the border and there were allegations that that was occurring and that that would actually constitute genocide and that's happening today. I don't know if that's something that's front of mind for you, but I mean, I know when I read that I was, I I hadn't heard that before and I was really uh, struck. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I mean, again, that's definitely um, one of our, like, reasons for why this is an atrocity prevention issue, right? Because yeah. preventing, like, forcibly preventing births of a group does fall under, like, one of the... The genocide convention, I'm pretty sure. Right. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and I mean, that's not something we've, I, I don't think, like, had directly focused on through, like, tangible action from Stan, but it is something that plays into why this is an important issue for us yeah i'm backtracking here but if you could kind of change something about the way that the international community handles atrocity because i think i'll preface this by saying like i think it's such a tricky field to navigate because there are so many kind of bureaucratic roadblocks and there are also you don't want to rock the boat politically and i think sometimes people expect or or want to kind of wish that it was easier so with that said and recognizing that it's not a simple process if you could kind of change the the way that the international community responded to or acted uh when it came to genocide and atrocity what would you caroline do to change or how would you kind of reconstruct that system for me i think it's just reaffirming that there needs to be a sense of urgency so both in the idea that this is a pressing issue and that um human rights abuses do matter and can matter like in conjunction with states like domestic affairs because I feel like that's often a priority over addressing human rights issues and urgency in like action so taking action as soon as you see warning signs I I spoke to like indicators of of conflict before like that's useful for this reason that people should be like taking this data or these events more seriously I guess and with more like will to affect change um i would also say getting more complex when you when people do take action like making sure that women and youth are included included in those spaces so if you're looking at like peace building and conflict resolution you know like how are you involving women's voices and needs in those processes Mm -hmm. or like if you're um in like post-conflict society rebuilding spaces like how do you make sure that you're speaking to young people and figuring out like what issues um most affect them and how we can make sure that they don't repeat when we're like building things up again if you could kind of tell our, our listeners how they can get involved either with stand or with kind of other organizations or just atrocity prevention in general what would you say to them yeah, I mean, okay, I'll, I'll answer the first one about getting involved with Stan. That has a very, like, direct answer. Um, Go to our website or social media. You can totally join an action committee. We're always looking for people to um contribute and join in that way. 
Also, really important and really awesome would be if people are interested in starting a stand chapter at their school. Um, that's super important to like getting our campaigns out there and having people participate in them. So chapters are very important if you're interested in starting one or joining one. Um, I think prevention generally starts maybe with understanding what the issues at hand are. So, you know, like keeping up with current events, you by no means have to be an expert in any of this. I would say as long as you have like an interest um, and a will to to help out. And then from there, I mean, there's things you can do on your own as well. I think writing op-eds is always super powerful. That's something else mm. Stan does. So writing in your local newspaper or your school newspaper about why you care about these issues, about a certain bill. Um, also keeping up with what your personal like representative and senator are voting on and voting for like if you see them vote down like a really important resolution for Yemen you know that's a place for you to kind of take off as like a jumping point to you know direct change legislative wise and the person that represents your community well thank you so much Caroline I really appreciate you sitting down with me uh, to talk about this and best of luck with this upcoming year yeah you are doing such important work so thank you for oh, that thank your you dedication so thank you thank you as well this is a really cool project thanks for listening everyone we definitely encourage you to check out stan's website and if what caroline said speaks to you please join the organization now more than ever we need to all be paying extra attention to human rights violations around the world especially the ones that are falling through the cracks when it comes to common discourse. Stay tuned for more episodes coming super soon and check us out on social media. See you later.